The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. I don't call out everybody, but I'll call out Zach. It happens to be his birthday today, so happy birthday, Zach Alton. <laughs> You're what, like 20 now or something? I feel so old when I'm around these guys. But, uh, Matt and I were laughing. One of the songs we sang today you know, was written in 2001. I was like, yeah, you were 15. I was 38. Some of you are going, you were 38 then. That makes y'all really old. So, um, but you know, it's not, Matt mentioned in the first service, it's not often as we put together a sermon series or something like that, that there's actually a song out there that is just about that. And what that confirmed with me, some of you had sent me a link that I'd never literally heard the song before this week. Um, What that confirmed to me is there such a desire within the world, within the church to thrive, that we were made for so much more than just to survive. We talked last week in introduction to the series uh, that so many of us describe the Christian life just sort of as, eh. It's kind of like, eh. I mean, yeah, I I love Jesus and all, but, you know, life's life. It's tough. Sometimes you hear it described this way, That for the Christian, this world, or is for a person who's not a Christian, this world is the only heaven that they would ever experience. And for a Christian, it's the only hell that they'll ever know. Well, there's a selling point. Hey, come to Christ. It'll be hell. It'll be hellish. It'll really be bad. But then you get to go to heaven. And that's awesome, right? So suck it up. Get on through. There's got to be something more than that. There's got to be something that Christ meant when he said, I come to give you life and to give you that life abundantly. He was saying that the same person who spoke that said, in this life, you will have hardship. You will have trials. You will have difficulties. You'll still struggle with sin. There'll still be poverty. There'll still be rumors of war and war. Uh, There'll still be all of these things. But yet in the middle of that circumstance, you can experience the thriving that is different from what the world offers. Because what the world offers is always, always based on circumstance or the transcendence of circumstance. It it, it is either circumstance changes, therefore it's no good, or circumstance changes, therefore it's good, or this, just empty yourself of all circumstance, transcend it, be above it, and not be in it. What Christ says is, no, you can be right in the middle of the circumstance. Whatever it is, good or bad, and you can thrive in the middle of it. You can have abundance within the middle of it. I was called to Westminster Presbyterian Church in the fall of 2005. Shelton Sanford was the senior pastor there, and his wife Anne had been there for 20-something years. Anne had never had a cold. I mean, the woman was rock solid in her health. But previous to my arrival, and really the reason for my arrival, was that Anne got a cold. And then her body never kicked it. And that cold actually wasn't a cold, it was AML leukemia. And she went through a stem cell uh, replacement and it arrested it for a while. But then it came back as AML leukemia so often does. And Anne uh, had to go to the hospital in Greenville where she spent the last several months of her life before coming home to die in her bed at home with her family. But the amazing thing was when I would go down to Greenville to visit with Shelton who was at her bedside and he was there faithfully. I would go, and as I would walk up to the nurse's station, I would say, I'm Bill McCutcheon, I'm here to see Ann Sanford, and they would glow. They would go, oh, Ann is awesome. 
Anne is the most incredible person we've ever met. She has something about her that is so transcendently different from everybody else that's on the cancer ward. And she's going to die. She knows she's going to die. But there's something about Anne. Because Anne understood that in the middle of that circumstance of incredible pain, of incredible loss, that she was not going to get to see her grandchildren grow up. She wasn't going to get to see the things that we all hope for in our latter years of life. She wasn't going to be, she hadn't known a day that she didn't know Shelton, by the way, and Shelton hadn't known a day he didn't know her. They were born weeks apart in the same hospital. Their parents went and visited each other in the nurseries. They grew up together, childhood friends, uh, and then this came about. But Anne, because there was something so different about Anne, because of the gospel which had taken root in her heart and Christ which had taken root, several of the nurses had come to faith in Christ through her thriving in the middle of a circumstance. Her doctor, who was a brilliant man from a Hindu background, came to faith through the simple thriving of a woman who said, circumstances do not determine how I'm going to live. There's something different. There's something so much more than just surviving, right? Don't you want to experience that? Hopefully some of you are experiencing that now. If you're new to our church or if you're tipping your toe back into church for the first time or maybe investigating Christianity altogether for the first time, I want you to hear that this is not a false promise. It is a promise that Christ gives you who says this, you can have abundance in this life. And he's not talking about prosperity in money. In poverty, you can have abundance, and in wealth, you can have abundance, but you have to have it in me. And I promise to give it to you because I give you all of me, and that's what I am. I am an abundance. I'm a thriving that comes, and it says, I am now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the hope that I have is in him. The hope isn't in everything else. That's what we're talking about within thriving. And, and I want us to share and to grow uh, in that together. And we talked about last week, what does it mean to thrive as an individual? In whatever station and place in life he has given us, it doesn't matter if you're young and adolescent or, or if you're older. It doesn't matter if you're uh, married or if you're a single uh, individual, if you're, uh, if you're divorced, uh, if you are an empty nester, uh, if you uh, have children, don't have children. Uh, whatever it is, if you're a grandparent, not a grandparent, whatever the case is, he says as individuals, we can thrive within that. And this week we said, but he also says we can thrive within our families, in our domains. Uh, and it's the same thing. I spoke earlier. There's so many ways to define family. And I don't mean in the way that society is trying to redefine family. Uh, but what is a family? Family, is it just the husband and wife? So with kids, what if you don't have kids? Is that the same as a, not a family that has kids? What if you're single and you're celebrating the singleness that God's given you as, as Paul did? If you're single again, if you're whatever the case is, he's saying that within your domain, you can thrive. And so we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture that is familiar to many of you. Uh, Joshua chapter 24, uh, looking at verses 13 and on in it is that great statement by Joshua where he says, and he stands up, and you can almost see him, his back straightens, his shoulders go back, his voice deepens with a conviction, and he says, but as for me and my house, as for me and my family, as for me and my domain, we are going to serve the Lord, we are going to serve Yahweh, and so that's the passage of scripture uh, that we're going to read, so with reverence, uh, let us read together 
the very word of God. Let me ask his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us and preserved it over all of these years. And we pray now that by your spirit, you would teach us that we would hear what does it mean to thrive within our homes, to thrive within our families, to thrive in a way that can say, I'm going to stand for Christ in the midst of a world that may not. So, Father, bless us with the reading and the hearing of your word through the power of your spirit. To Christ be the glory. Amen. This is the very word of the Lord. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods, of your father, the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is jealous He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witness against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord and the God God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up under the terebinth that has been next to the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be witness against you lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, to the hearing of his word. Amen. Just a quick context. The people of Israel had been in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years. Moses had come and God had delivered through Moses the people, and they had left Egypt. They had gone through the Red Sea. The Egyptians were destroyed. They were free now to move into the Promised Land. They were heading uh, to the Promised Land, and as they got to the Promised Land, they sent in spies into the Promised Land, Joshua being one of those spies. And when those spies came back, they reported their giants in the land. We can't win. We can't take the land. God's leading us into what are we going to do, and only Joshua and one other said, no, we can take it. We've got God, that's enough, guys. We can take the land. And the Lord, because of the unfaithfulness and the unbelief of the people, said, for you, this generation, you will never enter into the land. You won't experience your peace there. And you'll wander in the desert for 40 years, and Moses led them in the desert. And then after Moses' passing, 
Joshua was raised up to be uh, the leader of the people. And he led them into the promised land. And they went across on dry ground through a river. And they went up to Ai. And they went up to Jericho. And you know the story of Jericho. That the walls of Jericho fell uh, before them. And fear went through the land. And the people of God had now come. And they were taking hold of the promised land that was given them. And now Joshua, late in his years, before he was about to pass on to his glory, came and he spoke to the people. And you would imagine if you were given the privilege to know that you were going to die and you had one chance to speak to folks that you cared about deeply, what would you say? You would say words that mattered. There would be great gravity within your words. It would be no fluff at all. And those are Joshua's words. They're words of great gravity to us this morning. And what he is saying is this, folks. If you want to understand what it means to flourish within a relationship with God. If you want to understand for your family, for your people, for your life, for your household, for your domain. If you want to understand that, then you need to understand what it means to be committed to this incredible God. For flourishing is always based upon commitment. And that's what Joshua is teaching us today. That's what the Lord is teaching us through uh, this passage of Scripture. Because you see, there's no way for me to adequately cover how is it that a family thrives. Well, should we spend all our time defining a family? No, can't do that. Should we spend our time on the role of a father, a husband within a family, a wife, a mother within the family, a child within the family, parents to children, children to parents, siblings to siblings, grandparents uh, to grandchildren, uh, mothers-in-law to sons-in-law, fathers-in-law to... It just would get... We, it'd be a whole series, and maybe we should do a series on that, but uh, not this morning. So I'm going to look a little bit underneath the surface and say, if you want to see flourishing, if you want to see thriving within your home, within the domain that God has given you. Let's look at what's behind it and underneath it. Because I can't tell you all the answers for your particular situation, but we can learn biblical principles together that we then apply. And then if there's confusion, you can come to the leadership, the elders of the church, to give you spiritual guidance and wisdom. You can go to one another uh, to gain guidance and wisdom in that. That's why we live together. Uh, Because I know this. There's lots of books on parenting. There's lots of books on marriage. uh, But there really isn't truly a handbook that says this is the way to do it. Every situation isn't up, and so I have to lean, and we have to lean on one another uh, to grow and to take God's Word and to apply it in those particular situations. And so this morning, as we look at thriving uh, here as a family, thriving within our household, thriving within our domain, the first thing that I want you to see uh, harkens back uh, to the great Vince Lombardi when he would start with the Green Bay Packers as the head coach of those historic teams and he would always start with a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. And you can imagine the guys were like, yeah, we got it, coach. But we're going to start sort of that same level. The first thing I want you to see is this. Thriving, if you want to see thriving in your life as an individual, in your life as a family, thriving is based upon a commitment. Thriving is based upon a commitment. Verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That word serve is the word of God. It's a word that you heard back with Adam and Eve when it said that God placed Adam and Eve within the garden to Avad and Shamar. 
uh, to, to serve him and to worship him. It wasn't a cultivating of the ground that he put them in there. He put them in there to serve him and to worship him in the middle of it. And in this one chapter, you see the word avad seven times. You see the root of the word 18 times. Now, I'm not a scholar, but I know this much. It might be important. If it's being that redundantly repeated in here, uh, that you would want to see, wow, there's something about commitment. There's something about a relationship with God. If I want to flourish within this promise that he has given me, if I want to enter into the promised land, if I want to thrive and not just survive, if I want to see something that makes it transcendently different in my life beyond the circumstance, then it has to begin with a commitment. We live in a day and an age where everyone wants to leave their options open. We don't like commitments. We sort of commit, but then we hedge. If you look at the polls and listen to pollsters, they find that so many people are afraid to say who they're really going to vote for. They don't want to, they don't want to really commit. They want to just sort of see what might come about. Joshua is saying this, you have to commit. You, you have to make a stand. You have to say, I'm for this or against this. I'm with this or against that. He is stepping out and he's calling all of those who are listening to him and reading his words today to stand on that same commitment. Thriving has at its very base, at its very root, a commitment of serving. A commitment to say, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to commit your life to the Lord in an exclusive fashion? So the question I'd have as we wrap up this first point is simply this. What are you committed to? What are you currently committed to? Everybody's committed to something. Everybody is serving something. Everybody is avoiding something. The question then has to be, well, what is it? Maybe you have blind spots and you can't see it in your life. If you're looking up now because you're currently trying to close a transaction with your business, and you're going, oh, what was he? What was the preacher saying? You're probably serving the transaction. I do notice, by the way, <laughs> that you're looking at phones. I see, it's like, oh, sorry, Bill, I was trying to get that thing closed. Or maybe in a few weeks, making sure that the Panthers are going to win and that the Tar Heels are going to beat Georgia uh, and, and making sure of all of those things. <laughs> but we have commitments. I joke a little bit, but we have commitments. And you have to decide what are your commitments. And here's a great way to understand and to see your commitment. Ask somebody who knows you well. Say, hey, if you're a dad, I'm going to ask you to risk something. Don't just ask your spouse. Ask your children. Hey, guys, what do you think daddy's committed to? Well, dad, you're committed to work. You're committed to golf. Uh, you're, You're committed to all of this. Um, it might hurt, but it's important to get somebody else's vantage point to see what your commitments are. And so you have to understand at the very heart of thriving is a commitment. And guys, that's true in any area of life. If you want to be a really good football player, you've got to commit to be a good football player. If you want to be successful in business, you've got to commit to it. But what he's saying is there's got to be now a commitment to Christ. So there is a commitment. Second thing that he says, this commitment that we see, it's a reasonable and it's a logical commitment. It's reasonable and it's logical. 
It's nothing blind about this commitment. There's nothing that you're just jumping off into the precipice of the deep uh, to see, because this is what it says in verses 13 and 14. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the other gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Interesting, there's a word there. And now, verse 14 can be described as and now do this or the word therefore. And hopefully by now you'll be able to answer the second half of this. If you see a therefore, what are you supposed to ask? What's the therefore therefore? Why is it there? Well, he's saying this, therefore... There is a reasonable and a logical progression of something previous to this that will tell you, now based on this, it is reasonable for you to follow the Lord. And what is, bit, what is it that he explains in verses beyond that? This. Oh, hey, this was the God who led Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. This was the God who took care of Isaac and Jacob and our forefathers. This is the God who, when we were in Egypt, provided for us Moses, a redeemer, and took care of us. And then he destroyed the Egyptians. And then we came in. This is the God who gave us manna. This is the God who gave us quail. This is the God who gave us water in the middle of the desert, who we struck a rock and there was honey within the rock. This is the God who took care of us all the way along. This is the God who, when we were coming into this promised land, that the priest walked forward and they went with the, uh, the ark and the water dried up on the river and we walked through on dry ground and we came upon I which is a, a, a fortified city uh, and we destroyed I then we came up to Jericho and we had an incredible battle plan with Jericho we sent a bunch of guys around with trumpets and we blew trumpets and the walls came falling down and God has given us this entire land a land that he said that you have olive gardens that you didn't plant You have houses that you didn't build. You have cities that you didn't build. You have all of this. Now, logically and reasonably, commit to this God. Do you see that? What what Christ is is asking you to do isn't a blind faith. It's not a blind leap into nothingness. Commitment to Christ, commitment to the Lord, is but the natural contemporary response to his abundant historic goodness. Ralph Davis was the pastor who wrote that, one of my professors who preached here a couple of years ago. He said, it is the natural contemporary response to God's abundant historic goodness. You just have to look back and go, okay, this commitment that I'm going to make, that I'm being called to make to God, it's based on a track record. And you may go in your life, haven't been in Egypt lately, haven't been a slave, hadn't tried manna, don't really like quail, seen giants, haven't seen them, don't know what to do, well, then you would go, but, oh, this reminds me of a sermon series that we just completed through the book of Romans. Because if you get to Romans chapter 12, you realize that the beginning of Romans chapter 12 begins like this. I appeal to you, therefore, based upon the mercies of Christ, that were just explained in chapters 1 through 11, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable unto Him. It's the same argument. What Paul is saying, he's taking Joshua's argument. And he's saying, and now, because of the glories of what Christ has done for you, and here's what the glories of what Christ has done for you. 
The glories of the history of what Christ has done is God, equal in power and glory with the Father. Christ came down and took upon human flesh. That he gave up the beauty of heaven itself to come and to live under the law that he created. To be born as a man. To live perfectly under that law for 33 years. To do everything absolutely perfect and righteous without sin. And then he was punished on behalf of people who should have been punished. And went to a cross and he experienced a death. Not just a human death, but he experienced hell itself on the cross. The very wrath of God on your behalf. And he died The death that I was supposed to die and that you were supposed to die. And he experienced the anger of a God who hates sin. And he was dead for three days and rose from the dead. And he's ascended into heaven and he's taking with him captives. He's taking with us him, taking with him us in a sense. And it says that we are now seated in him in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority. And we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that our hands are written upon his very, uh, that our names are written upon his very hands, that he remembers us and knows us by name, that he says he's going to come back and he's going to bring us again, bring us home again. But in the meantime, he's going to leave the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as a down payment to enliven us and to make us new and to promise all of these things. And he says, now, therefore, not out of blind faith. But because of these great mercies that we've experienced in God, make a commitment. Choose something. That's what he's saying. Choose something. And ask if what you're currently committed to is as good a track record as what he's offering. I love my job. I love my family. I love my friendships. I love Hilton Head and all of those things. But they are not enough for me to commit my very life to. To give me full and unadulterated hope. Because all of them at some level disappoint me. They weren't designed to be my commitment fully in that. They weren't designed to be my life. But Christ was. In the middle of those things. So it's reasonable and it's logical. Our commitment to the Lord is at its core both incredibly logical and reasonable. Based upon his undeserved and surprising grace in our lives. So there's a commitment, and it's a commitment that's reasonable and logical. I want you to hear that, folks. That's why you need to know your history. I'm a McCutcheon and a McKenzie. I love to know the histories of my family. I love to know the history of my near family, of how my grandfather was faithful in the church, was an elder. My grandmother was a leader of the women's ministries of the Southern Presbyterian Church, and my great-uncle served in the Belgian Congo years ago. That there's a history within the McCutcheons. There's a history within, I'll let you have a real southern name, my grandmother, Mabel Turnipseed. There's a history within the Turnipseeds of Newberry County, South Carolina, of faithfulness to God. I'm amazed by that. And it makes me look back and go, look at this history. It's reasonable for me to commit my life to this Lord who's been so faithful to me both in history and in theology and in the truth. And now, when I look at this, he goes, okay, you're going to make a commitment. Here's the kind of commitment you're going to have to make. It's an exclusive commitment. Ooh, I know it's a bad word. Exclusivity. It's an exclusive commitment, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Serve him with fidelity and wholeheartedness. 
Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's evil for you to serve the Lord, then choose who you're going to serve today, either the Amorite gods or the Mesopotamian gods, but serve somebody. You see, you have to choose who you're going to serve and to do it exclusively. Think of it this way. I do a lot of, I used to do a lot of premarital counseling, not as much anymore. And I thought about this in marriage. I've been married with, to Lisa 24 years, and I've known her 25. And I wonder how it would have gone if in my proposal to Lisa uh, back in January of 1992, I would have said, Lisa, I love you. I really do. And I want you to be my wife. I want you to have no other men involved in your life. I want to have no other lovers. I want you to have all of your affection now is going to be for me. And I'm going to give you this ring to remind you of that. And I'm going to love you mostly. I mean, most of the time, I'm going to love you alone. I mean, I'm still going to keep a few girlfriends on the side, just in case. Uh, Every now and then, I'm going to invite them into our home. They're going to share our bed together. Uh, So I still want you to to marry me, though. How do you think that would have gone? (laughs) Not well. Some of you young people who are maybe going to go to a prom or a dance and you're going to ask somebody to the dance, guys, let me help you with something. Don't say, hey, I'd like you to go to prom with me and spend an awful lot of money on a dress that you're going to spend one time or wear one time and get yourself all gussied up. And then I'm going to pick you up at 6 o'clock. And then at 6.15, we're going to pick up Susie. And at 6.30, we're going to pick up Tiffany. And at 6.45, we're going to pick up Jill. And we're just all going to have a great night together. Because I really want to go to prom with you all. <laughs> it's not going to go well. It's silliness. Do you see the, it's, it's silly. But yet, isn't it the same when we come to Christ? Jesus, I really want you. And I want you in my life. And I want all the blessings that come from the privilege of being in relationship with you. I want heaven. I want you to bless my life. I want you to bless my marriage. I want you to bless my family. I want you to bless uh, my, uh, my work. I want you to do all of these things for me. And I'm going to love you mostly. I- I'm still going to really love these other gods over here too. And I'm going to serve them. And-, and-, and I'm going to have adulterous relationships with them. So I can't really give you full fidelity. I can't give you full faithfulness. But I really would like you to give me full faithfulness. In your care for me. Doesn't that sound stupid? That's a biblical word, by the way, I found out. Stupid's a biblical word. And I like that. Because it really is just that. It's stupid. It's craziness. Parents, you can look it up in Jeremiah chapter 10. And uh, then you can send them to me and go, Pastor said it, but you still can't say it at home. Um, But the fact of the matter is it's an exclusive commitment. And look at how he makes the argument. He says this, serve Yahweh, serve Christ, serve God, make a commitment to him, stand up for him, have backbone enough to stand up for him. Then he goes, but if you're unwilling to do that, then choose between the pagan gods. You can either have the contemporary or the ancient gods that you served over the river, that would be the Mesopotamian gods of your fathers, or you could have the new, more contemporary gods of the day uh, that are kind of cooler and newer. They're the Amorite gods of the day. But dadgummit, choose somebody. Stand for something. You ever just want to say that to somebody? Gosh, what do you stand for? Well, you know, it's all politics. 
It's all hemming and hawing. It's all hedging our bets. It's all nuanced. And Joshua's saying, be exclusive with something for goodness sake. I had a great uncle from the Isle of Man in Scotland. He never came to faith that I know of. But he was, he was dead set against Christ and God. He was an atheist of the highest order. I remember going to his home and thought about praying at lunch. And I remember bowing, Lisa and I, I started to bow my head and he goes, what are you doing in that great Scottish burr? Praying? He goes, not in my house. I appreciated the fact that he stood for something. I disagreed with him and my heart is broken and grieved that he rejected God and all of his glorious promises. But at least he stood for something. That's what Joshua is calling out. Stand for something. And if you're going to stand for Christ, stand for Christ. Don't stand for Christ and. But it's Christ only. Serve Yahweh. If you're going to serve him, remove all the other idols that you have in your life. All the other pseudo saviors that you have in your life. You've got to get rid of them. Commitment to Christ is a commitment of wholeheartedness, not part-heartedness. Wholeheartedness and fidelity and faithfulness. That's what he's calling us to. And I want you to hear that out of the gate, folks, if you're, if you're looking around and wondering about Christianity. It is an exclusive call. Because guess what God is saying to you? I am exclusively committing myself to you. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to keep my love affixed to you. I'm committing myself fully, inexhaustibly to you. Would you give me that same commitment back again to me? And then there's this, and you're going, hey, we're ready to respond. Altar call time. Let's do it. Let's get this thing going, Bill. You stirred the waters up. This is awesome. And that's what happened here with Joshua. Joshua had stirred the waters. The people were all fired up. And they said, hey, we're with you. We will serve the Lord God too. This is awesome. Revival was kicking out. They could have lots of numbers. It was really a good day. And here's what Joshua did. He said, oh, not so fast. You can't serve God. Really a bad evangelist. It doesn't work in church growth circles to say that. Why would he have said that? It's because this, he knew this. This is a serious and a cautious commitment as well. It's not to be trifled with because God is not a God to be trifled with. Take it seriously. Consider what you're doing. Consider the costs is what Jesus said. Consider the costs of following me. If you want to follow me, then you may lose husband or wife, father or mother, child, friendship. You may lose everything. It's not so much in the States, maybe, but think about our brothers and sisters in a Muslim world. If they stand for Christ, many of them die. If they stand for Christ publicly, they are ostracized, they are kicked out, they lose everything. And he's saying, don't enter into this because you've got Jesus pimples at a youth retreat on the mountain because Michael W. Smith sang a song and Casting Crowns came on. Think it's not about that. It's about a gravitas. It's about something that's heavy. Consider it. I'm accused sometimes when I counsel couples who are thinking about getting married of not really wanting them to get married or not being a pro-marriage. Because I give this illustration, and I've given it to you before as we, as we start to wrap up. I say this, hey, if you're going to get married at Hilton Head Presbyterian Church, that's awesome. Here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to give you two round-trip first-class tickets uh, to Hawaii, direct flight uh, from Savannah. Pretend there is one. And so we're, we're going to let you have those tickets free of charge. It's our gift as a church to you for getting married. And they look at me and they go, 
you're a preacher, I'm supposed to trust you. So, okay. I said, but here's the kicker. When you get to Savannah, there's 10 planes on the tarmac. All of them are gassed up. All of them are heading uh, west, and they're heading to Honolulu. And so you and your beloved are going to get on the plane, and you get to choose whichever plane you want to choose. I'm like, that doesn't sound too bad. I said, oh, here's the kicker. Five of those planes are going to crash between now and Honolulu. We're not sure which five. Something's going to happen. They're going to crash. They're going to go down. Do you still want the tickets? I've never had anybody say yes. And so I look at them and go, five out of ten marriages fail. How come yours is going to make it? Why are you getting married? You want to have sex without guilt? You feel lonely? Why are you getting married? What's going to be different? Enter into this relationship with a gravity. With the fact that you're committing yourself to someone else for the rest of that person's life and the rest of your life. That you're doing something that the world thinks is cheap and has cheapened. Lift it up. There's a heaviness and a weightiness to it. There's a glory to it. To use a biblical word, there's a weightiness to it. And that's what Joshua is saying. And I want you to hear is this. There's a weightiness to your commitment to Christ. So heck, I would love for everybody to run up front today and go, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm in with Christ, but make sure you do it recognizing what that means. Because here's what God says, I'm all in with you. I am so in with you that I sent my son to be destroyed for you. I'm so in with you that if you say you're going to be my lover, don't go sleeping around with other lovers. Don't keep your options open. Because I'm all in with you. You're my people and I'm your God. I'm not looking for another people. I'm not going to get tired of you but I'm going to stay with you. Folks, if you want to thrive, it may not make sense, but if you want to thrive in your life, it comes down to the commitments that you're making. Of saying, we are committing this today. Maybe you go home today and you say, in your home, maybe you say, in a personal prayer, I'm recommitting in this. I'm going to stand for the Lord. And if you're married, you say that in your marriage. And if you have kids, you say that with your kids. And you say, as for us, as for me today, I'm going to live this life in this culture for Christ exclusively and bring on whatever may come. And I'm going to take it seriously. Folks, we got to wrap up. As pastor, I want to say this. I want to encourage you that you're doing a great job, but I want to encourage you in another way. The church of Jesus Christ in Hilton Head and in America needs to step up its commitment and conviction to what it means to follow Him. There's too many people in this church who feel like they're the only ones doing it because they look around and there's so many other people who are saying, ah, well, you know, I kind of got Christ. I'm getting to heaven. I got my fire insurance. The church needs to stand up and say this, we're standing for Christ. Bring on whatever may come. There are days that I'm so thankful I wasn't born in a Muslim country because I wonder if I'd have what it takes to stand I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you may think that's a weird thing to read. But I look at those beautiful saints from the years before and the centuries before who were tortured for their faith in Christ. And they stood. They said, I can't do anything else. What's my other option? The government? My own works? My righteousness? I've got to have Christ in it. It costs me my life. And parents stood before their children in their dying breath and said, kids, watch your father die well for Christ. Watch your mother drown well for Christ. Folks, we have flea bites of persecution in America. 
We are not persecuted. This election is not a persecution, by the way. It may get tough a little bit, but it is not a persecution. But you know where the church always flourishes? In the midst of persecution. Because real Christians stand up and go, I am going to be identified with the truth. And so folks, while we have it good, let's stand up well. So when it may get tough, we can still be standing in the middle of it. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for Joshua. A young man who went in and he saw giants. But what he saw beyond the giants or maybe even beside the giants was a giant God who destroys giants. And he came back and he said, we got this because our God has us. Thank you for his faithfulness and commitment. Thank you that we can look upon him and we can see and hear his words and your words through him. Thank you for preserving your word. I pray that you would rally in our own hearts that kind of conviction and belief in the beauty of who you are. That there would be a therefore in our lives. And we would see you. And that we would glory in our Redeemer. There would be a weightiness that we would stand for our Redeemer. God bless this church and these families here. That they would make a stand for you. They would see you and know you stand for them until the very end. To Christ be the glory. Amen. We're going to sing again this new hymn that we introduced. So let's glory.